Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. My friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, and as always, joined on this midweek episode, Patrick Doherty, Denny Carter. Gentlemen, we always say we have a 245 kickoff here <laughs> on this show, and then we go on for 15 minutes about absolutely nothing. Yeah, It's a highlight of my week, I might say. It was my low light just now when I found out neither one of you <laughs> knew the get off the shed Will Ferrell skit. We need people to mention to admonish this because uh, a landmark SNL skit that neither right. of them knew. And I, I, I'm horrified that I don't know because <laughs> I when the when SNL started to come out with best ofs, do you remember that? Maybe like 15 oh, yeah. years ago, 20 years oh, ago. Yeah. So they had the best of Will Ferrell part one and part two on DVD. I bought both of them. I watched them obsessively for like weeks at a time. I, I, I'm very knowledgeable about Will Ferrell's time on SNL, and I have no clue what you're talking about. And, I, and I'm I'm furious about it, honestly. His catalog was so deep that, yeah, he's the one person, get off the shed, my greatest hits volume three. You know, it's kind of like Bob Dylan, where he needed the volume three. <laughs> I'm to be on that one. Pat, there were a lot of callbacks in the last week here on Roto World shows. I don't know if you can recall back on, what was it, Roto World Live on Sunday. We were talking about American Pie and Hayden just has absolutely no clue what I, mean, I know. Right, Denny? I mean, oh. at one point, Pat, we all were basically here on the football section of RW, the exact same age around the exact same era of content of Nickelodeon of N64, so on and so forth. But now all these culture references that we make, Pat, we basically have to subtract 10 years. And that's where Hayden is right now in his life. Yeah, I mean, thinking American Pie was a good movie was like, you know, a cultural rite of passage uh, for us older millennials and the Zoomers. Yeah, just have no idea. The country has no culture anymore. You know, the Zoomers don't know American Pie. It's just ridiculous. Well, the the Internet killed culture. I mean, obviously, that's 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 the case. But the yeah, American Pie was our misogynistic coming of age movie you know <laughs> yes. that, that was that was how how you knew you were growing up as you, you watched uh american pie and soaked in all those terrible messages just like the generation before us did that with animal house you know yes yes so you knew you weren't beta is if you saw like <laughs> american pie <laughs> since then i've wondered if hayden knows anything about like boy meets world or step by step or like beetleborgs no. or any of that stuff you know who knows? Hayden's we'll never heard it. of Spin Fighters. You know, he's maybe never even heard Pogs. of Power Rangers. Um, yeah, definitely has not heard of Pogs. Right. He's never heard of the Vancouver Canucks. You know, they played in the 1994 <laughs> Stanley Cup Finals. I could go on. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Speaking of destroying culture, Dennis, <laughs> oh, yeah. another, another highlight of my week. You know, this week, it, it, there wasn't a clear message that came to me for a question to ask you, but, <laughs> but here it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denny, what are your thoughts on selfies? Mm, that's good. That's a good one. So, so what you're saying is that the aliens didn't come and insert an idea into your brain to ask. No, me. not yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, throwback from last week, if you guys missed it. But uh, yeah, uh, so selfies, I, I, I'm not, you know, you would think, you know, being me being a curmudgeon that I would say no selfies. Selfies are ridiculous. Uh, they are too self-involved um, and they can be. And I guess as a culture, it reflects that for us. Like that's, that's, that's what we are. That's what we do. Um, but the century I, of self. Right. Right. And, and, it, and, you know, I mean, if that's not that's not new, you know. Like this started a long time ago. That this this sort of uh, belief that you, you know you are the only thing that exists or the only thing that matters, and that's just carried on into the tech age, and it's been accelerated by by tech. Um, so you know, I didn't mean to go into all that, but uh, I, I'm not I'm not opposed. Here's what here's what I'm opposed to: having to stop a, a, a good moment, a nice moment. Yeah. And, and then to take the selfie, then to stop, to stop everybody you're with, you know, if you're with friend back when we could be with friends, um, with, with family and to stop that moment and say, okay, everybody stop what you're doing. Stop talking, stop having good time, stop drinking, stop eating. Everybody come around. We're going to take a selfie that that stinks. And I, it's ne- it's never just one selfie either. You know, you have to get five or 10 to like find the right one, right. To make sure everyone is pleased with yeah. how they look. And, you know, it's interesting. And I, Start thinking about this in order to ask you. The three of us on some level have to be somewhat self-absorbed to do what we do and spend time on social media <laughs> and be on Twitter. But then I also think that there are levels to self-absorption where I am just not comfortable at all in the influencer Instagram environment where I can just like constantly turn the camera on myself and be like, Hey, look, let me tell you that this thing is interesting that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. Then I watch other people do it and it's totally fine. And then I'm here talking to a webcam that's standing on my desk right now. And that's totally fine. 
Like, I, I don't know if I make sense. Tier of self-absorption here. Uh, well, you're talking, speaking of self-absorption, you're talking to a guy who once applied to be a natural light spokesperson. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's that's my story. Yeah, but I, I agree that that it is, you have to kind of like pick and choose how, how, how self-absorbed you're going to be. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it's more of an all in situation, but I understand what you're saying. We all have different vanity outlets. That's what I think we're trying to say. Mm, Uh, We're we're all sick, vain people, but we just, none of us are particularly into selfies. I I think we all agree that cell phone use is good, but selfie sticks are bad. I think that's like where we can go with it. I totally disagree with the first. Yeah, see, they help the moms. The selfie sticks help them. My mom is the one person I know who uses a selfie stick. And, uh, you know, it's changed her life, basically. So, uh, yeah, I can't be anti selfie stick. I, I am. I am. So what, 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 how's it, how's it changed your life? I'm just, I, I'm just uh, getting a little too deep. Into uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, okay. 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 She's a was... short person. It helps like uh, gets pictures that otherwise would not be taken. Denny. I right. See, I see. Go, go gadget arm is, uh, is one way for it. All right. That was good. We could have gone on much longer, but I have one more thought, Josh, you missed the layup, not asking him about chapstick. I had to take a chapstick break before we started uh, taping. And it's because Dave sure and I had a full conversation on it. So I bet Denny has like super expansive thoughts on chapstick. Oh, it's it's as addictive as nicotine. We determined. That's right. No, I mean you you have fallen for a trick, you know, in, in your in your usage of, of chapstick. I told Josh back when I used to play a lot of golf. I always had one on the course with me. Every couple holes, I would I would apply it, thinking I'm doing the right thing. I'm being diligent. I'm, at, but it it keeps keeps you coming back for more because chapstick literally has like trace amounts of alcohol in it, right? And it, and it dries out your lips so that you buy more chapstick. My lips get a little dry when the seasons change. There's nothing wrong with it. No, no, mine too. But but Vaseline <laughs> is the key. It is true. That's a better. It's better, but it's not yet. It's not the same high. It's just you know, I gotta get a hit every hour <laughs> on the Burt's Bees. So oh well, okay. You know what Burt's Bees? I think maybe. Okay, I you know I I will clear that. Okay, okay. <laughs> that, was a, that was a double dip in Denny's thoughts. Okay, we got, we got a two for one special this week. Um, all right, let's get into the I guess football portion of the show. Um, this was actually a a thought that came from a Jeremy Fowler tweet. He said that five of the six teams right now in the NFL that are six and three had a losing record last season. Uh, So that spurred this concept to me to look at how many teams right now through 10 weeks of the NFL season heading into week 11, congratulations, everyone out there um, that have winning records right now that had losing records at the end of last season. And, and why now we're not going to go team by team and outline every single change and every single difference. But what I charged Denny, Pat and myself to do was to outline one reason why. Maybe the most significant, maybe not, maybe the most obscure, maybe the most creative, whatever they wanted to do. The reason why these teams have changed the fortunes and the outcomes of their season compared to 2019 to 2020. Pat, would you like to start off here with the Arizona Cardinals, who are six and three this season so far compared to five, 10 and one at the end of 2019? I would. And you know, this one is probably the easiest. Uh, you know, you gave me the easiest one. I, I love you for that, Josh. And it's Kyler Murray, who... Is Kyler Murray already like the best dual threat in NFL history, at least like the most projectable? Because, I mean, he's not the best running quarterback of this century, but he's already looking like one of, you know, the four or five best. And amongst like those four or five like elite running quarterbacks we've seen, uh, you know, Michael Vick, uh, Robert Griffin III, et cetera, et cetera, he's 
probably already the best passer. I mean, he's like, yeah, it's, it's so difficult to have both those skills in one person. So it's understandable, but he's an elite runner and he's also in, turning into a genuinely elite passer. And we're just seeing a guy become a superstar uh, before our eyes. And, you know, the Cardinals, the defense uh, has overachieved a lot of the year. I don't know if that can really hold up in the second half of the season without Chandler Jones. So it's not yeah. purely Kyler Murray. And of course, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Kyler Murray wouldn't be becoming superstar Kyler Murray if he didn't have a weapon at his disposal. But the Cardinals knew that this is who he could become. So they went out and got him someone like DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, it, it's just basically we're seeing a number one overall pick turn into a superstar and change a franchise. It could be the the addition of DeAndre Hopkins just it, it, like accelerated his uh, Kyler Murray's development. Um, you know, whereas last year he they would be in, in neg- negative game scripts where he would really have to drop back a lot and wouldn't really have many options to throw to. You know, Christian Kirk would miss miss some time. Uh, you have kind of the you know uh, a plotting Larry Fitzgerald out there tight end um, Larry Fitzgerald right yeah basically and uh and you know and and DeAndre Hopkins just adds that 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 new element for him as a guy who can always get open and always seems like he's open just because of that how he runs routes and how good he is so an unbelievable mistake by the Texans i think it could possibly create at least like a short-term dynasty for for the Ooh. Cardinals if if things <laughs> if things develop the way that they're going, you know, and you know, barring some catastrophic injury or something to Murray or Hopkins, um, you know, I think I think you could look back and say, oh, that's that's like when the Vikings Cowboys trade in the nineties. I don't know that 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 spurred the the Cowboys uh, Super Bowl run. Pat, I did give you the easiest one because we literally just saw that special to special of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins made this team six and three on Sunday instead of five and four. I mean, literally a play that almost no other two humans on the face of this earth could make at this moment in time made that. And it wasn't a connection that was available in 2019. Instead, as you have both mentioned, he was thrown to the likes of like Dan Arnold and Mm -hmm. Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald and so on and so forth. Farrell Cooper. I mean, I keep going Demir Bird, like on and on and on the list. But but now it, it, it's just a receiver who we saw at the beginning of the season just have this enormous target share, break the trend of players at the position, struggling with their new teams. And I would also say it's improvement in some offensive line play because while Kyler is so good and entirely unique in his movement and his style and completely really lacks a comparison of anyone else, he has that ability to make that single defender miss one-on-one. And then, I mean, he is on track, on pace to eclipse Cam Newton's single season rushing touchdown record. Now, if you put the two people next to each other in a room, Kyler Murray and Cam Newton, you would say they don't even play the same sport. I mean, Cam Newton is 6'5 and 270 pounds, and Kyler Murray is 5'10 and whatever his weight is, you know, I mean, they, they look like they can't even play the same sport, com- namely the same position. And yet the smaller guy is, is, is about to overtake the bigger one. And to me, that's part of the reason why every single year I love the NFL more and more are these players that completely create and blaze new trails at their position that have long had these same types and generalizations that Kyler Murray is certain doing, certainly doing that at the quarterback position. 
I think maybe the player he's most similar to uh, would be Robert Griffin III, and he's already way better. It's something that derailed Robert Griffin III's career, where RG3 took just, you know, he was like addicted to big hits. Yeah. And this is like always <laughs> famous last words with running quarterbacks, but Kyler Murray is very good at avoiding that unnecessary contact. He's an elite self-sacker. And like mm-hmm. the Peyton Manning mold, you know, when it breaks down, he will just go down and avoid the big hit. And so, yeah, he's just a special player, you know, like extraordinarily high football IQ, like extraordinary leader, you know, like already is like taking, like they talk about how he like yells at DeAndre Hopkins, which yeah. I don't know if that's really, uh, you know, recommended. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like basically someone uh, like who just is living up to being everything you ever want from a franchise quarterback. Yeah, he actually, I you talked about his self-preservation and how important that is. Uh, just this last week against Buffalo, I, I couldn't help but notice at least twice late in the game where he, you know, uh, broke out of the pocket, uh, could have maybe gotten a couple more yards down the sideline, but stepped out and sacrificed that yard or two. Um, and didn't, you know, didn't sacrifice the first down, you know, but sacrificed the yard or two so that he doesn't get walloped out of bounds like RG3 used to all the time. Yeah, he understands that he has Roto World football podcast size <laughs> and that he can't yeah. be just be taking these huge hits. Yeah. Yeah, being addicted to chapstick is much better than being addicted to big hits. <laughs> I think we can also term that. And there was also a narrative at the first few games of last season. You remember when Kyler Murray like wasn't running the ball at all? Like in he the was first hurt a weeks, lot of last year. Is another thing too. Well, but I, even in the first two weeks of the season, Pat. I mean, he had three attempts for 13 yards in the opening game, and then three attempts for four yards in the second game. And then they really started opening up: 69 yards, 27 yards, 93 yards, 32 yards, so on and so forth. And while, you know, we're only through 10 weeks of the NFL season, immediately that started to click and immediately started to work this, this season. And we have seen it with running quarterbacks. I mean, it's just a – and he's not a running quarterback. I mean, he's a pocket passer plus who can just have this unique escapability that we have rarely seen at the position. And just that added dimension almost adds like an extra person to your offense in, in some situations. So you just, you just made some, some key points there too. He's just basically a brilliant football player applying the lessons he learned as a rookie. You know, he figured out what his limits were as a rookie, figured out what his strengths could be. Right. Yeah. He's just put it all together already. Yeah. He's just so, so comfortable out there despite, you know, not playing that much at the college level either. All right. That was a good one to start with. Denny, you're up next with mm-hmm. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who currently are seven and three this season compared to seven and nine. Last season. Hmm, I wonder if you can pick out a few changes. It's very life. difficult. I mean, I looked at their jersey choices over the first 10 weeks <laughs> and ran it through my algorithm. No, it's uh it's it's Brady. I mean, you know, let's let's be honest. Last year, uh they the Bucks had five losses of three points or less. Three points or fewer, perhaps, if you want to get technical. <laughs> and uh and and you know, so they were in a lot of games, you know, they were they were they were in it. Uh, Jameis Winston, of course, throws 30 interceptions last year, along with 5,100 yards, which is still kind of astounding. Um, But 21 of those interceptions came in losses, and they lost because he threw interceptions. But also, if you look back at some of the the back-breaking picks that he threw in comeback mode, or even when the team had a lead late in the game, and it it was too much to overcome, uh, it's, you know, Brady is... That, that game manager who has come in and taken an otherwise good team 
Mm-hmm. And it made sure that they're not losing these close games, or most, for, you know, for the most part. Uh, I mean, this very season. few people beat Nick Foles. It's yeah, yeah right, so. yeah, exactly. I, I know, and I, I think, and and yes, yes, I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Brady, but uh, I, you know, I think that there are, I don't know, ten other quarterbacks who could have come in and do something very similar to what what Brady's doing uh, here. I don't think that he's doing anything extraordinary, except for just taking an all around good team, special teams, defense, offense. Uh, and and making sure you know that they don't crap the bed at the end of the game. You know that's that's kind of kind of how it's gone this year for the most part. I mean, you talk about the loss to the Bears. It's still un- unbelievable that they lost to Chicago. How how bad the the Bears are. Um, but they they were a good team last year. I guess is what I'm saying. They just had a, a very mistake prone quarterback. Yeah, and I think that's underselling it a little bit. I mean, that quarterback then would just put the the defense into just the worst possible positions imaginable. Um, I'm looking at the PFF grades right now last year, and three of the offense's six, or really three of their four highest scores were wide receivers, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Brashad Perryman. And when you think back to last year, it feels like forever ago. But, I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, just making these circus-like miraculous grabs and Brashad Perryman to end seasons like he always does. Um, that's just not necessary so far. Right. And mm-hmm. I, you know, watching that game on Sunday and I talked about this in the recap pod, go back and listen to it. If you haven't, um, it wasn't Tom Brady's best game. I mean, he missed a deep touchdown to Antonio Brown that was wide open. He threw it the middle of the field instead of over along the right side. And he missed a few other passes. And Pat, I understand like every time we talk about the bucks, you and I always have the short conversation of, well, I think they're one of like the best five teams in football right now, but you know, they've lost to, the bears and almost the giants and so on and so forth. But I think in like a totality standpoint, we can say that this team is built really well to then when they reach the playoffs to win football games. And that is not something you could have said last year with a quarterback that you didn't know what you're going to get from him. You, you know, even half to half, like you might get four touchdowns in the first half, then three pick sixes in the second half. And so I just think, the what you see is what you get nature of this offense right now. And so much of that, I think, comes along the front five blockers. It's just establishing consistency is a really good formula so far through the 2020 season. Yeah, you're right. This, this is like a playoff roster. Like when you think about like that cliche of a playoff roster, because they can do, you know, they can do anything on offense. And maybe they can't do it like super elite, like, you know, quite Tom Brady's like prime level, but, you know, they can win with the pass, they can win with the run. They have a really good offensive line. They have a really good front seven. They have some playmakers in the secondary. So this isn't like a, a roster that are going into the playoffs. You're like, oh, you know, this clear, like the Seahawks, you know, like a team with like a clear vulnerability. The Bucks are not going to have that on the roster going into the playoffs. And it's weird because like Tom Brady is diminished and like, you know, he's not like vintage Tom Brady. Not that he's by any means washed, but like, I think what we're seeing with the difference between Tom Brady and Jameis Winston is like, you know, when you have a roster this good, so one of the, I'm going to get, hopefully this is not too weird. You know, one of the things that people don't really realize about college guys is if you just show up to class and do turn in your assignments in time, like basically the bare minimum grade you can get is like a C. You could do mm-hmm. nothing else other than show up and turn in your assignments in time and you will get a C. Like you've got a very high baseline if you just like do like the things you're supposed to do. And Tom Brady is like that baseline compared to Jameis Winston. Maybe the ceiling isn't what we'd want at this point, but like he shows up to class in time. He always turns in his assignments mm-hmm. on time. So he's got a much higher margin for error. And like, that's a huge difference between like this team this year and last. And also to Todd Bowles, like the defense really came on in the second half of last season. And like another year of Todd Bowles, 
like just turning this into a genuinely elite defense to him. He's got a lot of good players to work with, but it's Tom Brady just, you know, avoiding those catastrophic mistakes and Todd Bowles, like really whipping this defense into shape are the two biggest things, obviously by far. Hmm. I also don't want to undersell Tom Brady though, you know, and, and that like, I know you're not saying that he is just a C player, no, but, no, no. but I, I do think he can put in some A performances and then, I absolutely believe in him to, as we keep talking about, get them in the right situation, the right look, the right blocking sets in that three or four game stretch in the playoffs. And, you know, that, that's what this team is is built for. So, um, yeah, but I mean, Tom Brady, yeah, you just never have to worry about like as a teacher, you're like this guy will never you know miss a class or never get the quiz in on time or whatever. And so like when that's your baseline. You've got just much more margin for error. And uh, yeah, I'm repeating the exact same thing I said yeah. for no reason. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's the little things too. Uh, you know, Brady's one of the few guys who is so hyper aware of everything going on around him during the game that he, he can know. Except for how that, many downs there are. It, yeah, right. I did, as I was saying that, I'm thinking of him holding <laughs> up his four fingers looking like a doofus. Uh, but he, um, you know, uh, he's so aware that, that he's one of the few guys who can see that there's going to be a contested catch that a catch might be going to replay so he he rushes everybody up to the line and runs a, a quick a quick running play for for one yard for a one yard game but you know kills the replay opportunity so um i think that that that's the kind of thing that you really didn't see with with james winston there all right next we will go to the miami dolphins who are currently six and three on the season compared to five and eleven last year first thinking about 2019 five and eleven was a massive success for Brian Flores and company. I mean, I went into the year thinking and hypothesizing that, you know, changes to the rule set might be altered because of how this team was setting up to tank, you know, how they weren't allowed to do X, Y, and Z, but they got away with it, but future teams wouldn't be able to. And then, you know, they go 5-11, and 11, and it's because of coaching. And I think that coaching has just aligned with talent much more and even more so on the defensive side of the ball this year. And you know, this football collective that we live in, this environment that we is our habitat, uh, has these, these sayings that get tossed around every single year. And one for a while was like, defense doesn't matter. And now I'm sure the meaning of that has been twisted over the years, but one, that's that person's fault because or whoever created it because if you're going to make such a simple blanket statement and everything of course um you know the, the meaning is going to get lost in there but brian flores is proving that absolutely defense does matter and it can change the trajectory of an entire organization last year the team had the 32nd ranked pass defense according to dvoa this year so far number eight pass defense now saving howard being healthy drafting noah i paying Byron Jones, that helps. But what's also helping is just this like amoeba front that they're able to create in a lot of these empty sets or single back sets. And I want to point everyone to a piece that Ted Nguyen, who's a friend of the show, wrote on The Athletic just about how, and he compared it to Sean McVay stacking the same looks offensively, but changing the results on them or who they're going to throw the football to. And but doing that in the defensive side of the ball, whereas like if it's an empty set, they might send six pass rushers against five offensive linemen. So that naturally creates a free rusher. They did that against Jared Goff. Meanwhile, against Kyler Murray, they did that same six versus five, but instead dropped the linebackers, 
had a free rusher because the offensive line still blocked down and then behind them went back to their natural cover three defense. So it's just confusing. It's putting so much pressure on the opposing offense. And I would say while, while Pat, the offense has been fun with Tua and Savan Ahmed and Miles Gaskin and so on and so forth. In one of the rare cases, I would say the offense hasn't been the reason that this team has turned around. And it's absolutely the defensive side. It is. First off, though, how dare Josh suggest anything other than wide receivers matter? It's the only thing that matters in football. As uh, we know. I'm offended, honestly. Yeah, uh, but no, it's the one. The one. If I was going to say one reason for the Dolphins, it is Brian Flores, and even before, so, they got a huge talent in Jackson over the offseason, as you said. But even before that happened, you know, they were one of like the friskiest teams in the NFL the second half of last season. You know, they basically ended the Patriots' dynasty in New England last week. True. Seventeen. Like that was kind of the like the now they were already overachieving for that. But that was like the announcement of like, okay, Brian Flores is like an elite coaching prospect. This is potentially one of the next great coaches in the NFL. And you know, then he made a curious decision, I thought, in firing offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea. And the offense got off to kind of a shaky start the first few games of the season, but now it's you know it's been much better despite a lot of injury issues. And I'm sure some of that is Chan Gailey, but I mean it's just this has this the feel of a team. You know, like the New England Patriots, obviously nowhere on this level, but like a, a feel of a team that has like a head coach who's just in control of everything going on on the team, like setting the tone on both sides of the ball. And not that I'm saying he has anything to do with the offensive scheme or anything, but just a brilliant head coach setting the tone, knowing how to use the talent he's been given, and just someone yeah who has the Dolphins looking like like one of the three or four teams like most on their eyes in the entire NFL. Right, and that and those defensive improvements have obviously benefited the offense and had yeah. they, they put Tua and company in, in a great position uh, consistently, you know, you just look at that, look at his first start against the Rams. He was asked to basically do nothing. Um, and, 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 that, and, <laughs> and, obliged. and, that, and that may have been, a, you know, a great, uh, you know, sort of easing in for, for a rookie coming in at mid season, uh, you know, replacing a, a popular, uh, you know, entrenched starter for the team. Um, you know, and and I, but the, but the defense in that game was dominant. Okay, you know they got that touchdown. They they sacked Jared Goff twenty five times. They just <laughs> they're all over the place. And uh, and and so Tua and the offense, you know, didn't have a whole lot to do. You know, they they weren't you know pressed to uh, get chunk plays and score a bunch of points. And you know that'll happen eventually. You know the the, the Dolphins defense is not going to hold up against everybody all the time. Uh, but over to his what is it now three starts, um, he has been just consistently, like I said, in a, in a in great spots, great positions to not have to do everything. Yeah, and I do believe there is something from going from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua. And while we really like Ryan Fitzpatrick, there are certainly times where he looks like Jameis Winston out there in terms of moments of putting his own team in negative situations. Now, I, I can't say that Tua's not going to do that at some point, but so far we have not seen it. And that just hasn't been the book on him you know, for years and years. Um, I mean, the, the Dolphins have broken some trends as of late as well. Like, Brian Flores looks to be a Bill Belichick, New England disciple that is going to be successful and feels like decades that hasn't <laughs> happened. And they have brought in Patriots along with him in Calvin Noy and Eric Rowe. I could keep naming a few more and that's worked and that hasn't worked out for <clears throat> Detroit either. So I think that's 
praiseable bat. Yeah, he made Bill Belichick made a huge mistake of installing his one actually successful viceroy in the same division. That was just yes. a huge tactical mistake by Bill, who's been off his game all year. Yeah, and if I if I can make a cross sport reference here, gentlemen, maybe Pat will get this. Denny probably will not. Um, this onslaught of pressure and aggressiveness, Pat, reminds me of like Liverpool or or Atalanta, where it's just constant in your face and overwhelming, and it makes you know the opposition crumble, you know, along the wave beneath the wave of of destruction. Now, because of that. And because of how stretched you get, there are going to be some teams and sometimes we're going to lose because of it, like Villa beating Liverpool 7-2. But most outcomes are going to be favorable. Like this past weekend against the Chargers, offensive players came out and said, hey, we basically had to run on early downs just because we knew if we threw the football, we were so freaking confused that we were just going to make a mistake. So we're just going to run the football instead. Yeah, that's exactly what the goal is for a defense to do. And I don't think anyone is instilling their will more in the NFL right now than Brian Flores and kind of this ragtag group of front seven players right now in the NFL. Yeah, they derailed. I mean, they derailed the MVP of the NFL, Justin Herbert, last week. And uh, <laughs> Josh, you could have also gone with Rick Pitino, you know, picking up full court press, picking you up right from the inbounds line. Uh, that was yeah. maybe for American listeners would have been. Yes, I mean, you. Danny's never thank heard you. of basketball or soccer, but still. Well, right. Wait a second. No, I, I'm, a, I'm an NBA thought leader. I don't know. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let's go back over to you. we got three more left. Next for you is the Cleveland Browns, who are 6-3 and three at the moment. Uh, and they were 6-10 and 10 last year, so, you know, there's a chance it goes in that direction. But, Pat, as of now, the Browns are 6-3. and three. I'm surprised you didn't take the swings. You know, you could talk about like the offensive line, but because uh, you seem to enjoy it, we'll talk about the real football things. Um, but the Browns, I mean, the main reasons they identified their strengths, uh, you know, they, they realized that Baker Mayfield isn't going to be like a traditional franchise quarterback, not someone who can put the offense on his shoulders. Uh, they have a roster to run the ball and stop the run, uh, which, you know, is maybe a little antiquated, but that's the strength of their roster right now. That is what they're leaning on, a genuine two-back attack, uh, you know, like kind of a, a, a run-funnel defense, or I always say run-funnel or pass-funnel, where they're, they're, not, they're uh, not great against the pass, but they're very good against the run. And they, they just uh, – so last year, a team that had no strengths 
basically. They, they, they identified some things that they could improve immediately, which I guess was the offensive line was one of them. And the running game where they had the talent to have a, you know, a genuine two-back attack. And they committed to those things, and it has worked. And mm-hmm. they didn't try to overstretch. You know, they knew that they couldn't, like, remake the whole roster overnight. So they just found basically the quickest fix. And they hired the right coach for it, too, Kevin Stefanski, who was yeah. great to coach this kind of thing. And they basically identified the quickest path they could take to get this roster back to contending, and they did it, and it's working. I uh, I hate it. Thanks, I hate <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, I, I just – I think that the, the Browns – and you're right about everything you said is, is correct. But uh, – I, I feel like the Browns are, are such a, they have such a fragile model for winning. It's, they do. It is very fragile and it can be just destroyed by the smallest in-game happening. Okay. Like they, they get down by a couple touchdowns and it's over. Like it is, they cannot, they cannot come back from, from two touchdowns down. You uh, Unless it's against just a horrendous defense. You talked about Baker Mayfield is not going to be a traditional franchise quarterback i would contend that he will not be a franchise yeah. quarterback at all by, for anybody <laughs> yeah no, no, not, not traditional non-traditional is you know he's just not not going to be it so if they if when eventually you know they're going to have to put the game on his shoulders uh, and it's not that's it's not going to go well and they know that they and th- they know that i mean that, that's why even when they score 30 40 points in a game fantasy wise baker mayfield is completely useless <laughs> you know it's it's just um it's a it's a model that cannot work long term i think that you know mm-hmm. they they were looking for i think they were looking for short term success and they found it so far um but like josh said at the at the opening of of this discussion about the browns uh, you know that when did they finish last year? Six and ten. Yep. Yeah, and, which was their know, best record in franchise history. Would we, right, right. Since yeah, since the war, you know, and <laughs> and uh, and war, <laughs> you know. Uh, WW2, come on. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> I can't remember which one, but the um, it's going to go off the rails eventually because you just can't do this. You can't do this to every team. You can do this to the Houston Texans, but you can't do it to every team. Yeah, Pat. If I can whittle it down. I think the biggest difference is just consistency from the head coach, like heading into 2019, there was some optimism and I think some fun and even some humor around Freddie kitchens, who was this character taking over as the head coach after he did it in an interim role, but immediately that caved with this weird dynamic between Freddie kitchens and, and John Dorsey. Meanwhile, we see new head coaches come in often to NFL teams And it takes them a year or two or even three to get the players they want for their system and the style and all that. But almost perfectly, Kevin Stefanski has mirrored his unit, his group, his style with the Vikings that he did with the Browns. I mean, we've seen, obviously, Dalvin Cook have a great season under Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak. And a lot of that was the offensive line and and the system and then Nick Chubb and um, Kareem Hunt have had great seasons there. He went and got Austin Hooper, who hasn't been, you know, a big productive impact, but it's because, you know, Kevin Stefanski was second in the league and 12 personnel. I mean, I keep going on and on, but I think my biggest question is the same question you guys are asking. And it's a question, not a statement. Does Baker Mayfield even have the ceiling of someone like Kirk Cousins? Probably not. I, no. I say no, absolutely not. Right. And, and that's, ter- I mean, this was the number one overall pick. And at some point we have to forget about all of that and just go with what we see right now. But I'm, I'm with you. It, this is not a negative game script team, especially without Odell Beckham, which they'll be without 
the rest of the season. And I, I think that there are times, and I understand Baker's can be fun to watch. Like when everything's in rhythm and, you know, when he has his personality and so on and so forth, it's really easy to root for him. But there have been times when he has been like a walk-on in his career. Mm -hmm. And there are times when he has walk-on athleticism and a walk-on arm. And too often that shows up as an NFL player when they are coincidentally losing in those scenarios as well. And, And that's just a difficult formula, like Denny said, to climb back out of that hole. Yeah, I was just saying, I think we're all in agreement, basically. That, like, think this is a low upside formula, but I think it was probably the only formula where they could realistically be competitive this year. And maybe it won't take them farther than one playoff game, uh, if even that. I mean, there's still a lot of season to go, but I think they just identified this as the one way they could compete this year, and mm-hmm. they're executing it to perfection so far. All right. Denny, mm-hmm. you're up next with the Las Vegas Raiders, who were 7-9 last season in Oakland. And are six and three this season in Las Vegas. Was that the one you're gonna talk about? Just the change in location? <laughs> That's right. That's it. Okay, next team. Uh, no, uh, right. it, it was it was tough uh to find like major differences in in the Raiders from I was last year. Say, I was glad to not have the Raiders because this is one where I'm like, they seem the exact same. Yeah, yeah. I wanna I wanna thank Josh for this. But uh, you know, <laughs> I did look into it and here's here's what I have. Here's my theory. Okay, my working theory. <laughs> about why the Raiders are not terrible this year. So Derek Carr so far has a 0.7% interception rate through week 10. That's 1.1% under his career average and almost 2% less than his career high interception rate back in, in 2017. So Derek Carr is uh, protecting the ball, being you know more conservative. Uh, he's also not being put in really bad positions where um, you know he has to throw with a defense knowing what's coming. Okay. That, so that, that's, that's one part of my theory. So the other part is that they are shortening games by dominating time of possession. Okay. Which was not the case last year. They were kind of in the middle of the pack as far as time of possession. Um, only the Packers and weirdly the Bengals have a higher time average time of possession this season than the Raiders. Um, and you know, then the third, the third piece of this is that, Yes, they have two signature wins this year. Okay, they have the they beat the Saints in, in shocking fashion. Did they back really beat the week Saints? Two. They oh did. God. They did. <laughs> and yeah, I, I had to look back on it. Um, and and then they beat they beat Kansas City, uh, which you know it's just it's just remarkable. So um, they do have those wins. I'm and I'm not taking those away. Okay, I, I I will give them those wins. But pretty much everybody else they beat they they should have beat you know, um, for, for the most part. And so I, I just, I don't, I just don't see them as like, like a serious contender in any, in any real way. So. Hmm. This is a tough one because basically the offensive roster is exactly the same as it was last year, minus Henry Ruggs. And I mean, I don't need to go on and on about how Henry Ruggs hasn't gotten a lot of opportunity, but so maybe from a like pure football standpoint, Denny, he is changing you know, mm-hmm. just the spacing and all that kind of stuff. But I would say also a major difference is point differential. And I think you alluded to this in in a good way and did it much more in depth. But I mean, last year for the season at, again, seven and nine, they had over a negative 100 point differential just because their defense was atrocious. And this year through these nine games that they played, they're plus 14. And, you know, plus 14 isn't great mm-hmm. when considering, you know, your three wins, above 500, but it's odd because 
so much of that is is the differences on the defense side of the ball. But Pat, it's not like I can point to like one, two, or three players on defense that are just outstanding. In fact, some of the players that they brought in this year that have played this year compared to last year are like some of their lowest performers on PFF right now. And Jonathan Abram and Malik Collins and Corey Littleton. I keep going on and on. So it's weird that like maybe the addition like they're not just being anchored by all of these awful players and just the average has been elevated, but it, you know, I, I, it's where I could point to mind me exactly of how they've changed defensively. I can't do that here with the Raiders. Yeah, it is weird. Cause you said the talent is feels almost the same, but they're, they're breaking less on defense. This is a defense that will still bend a lot, but they're just breaking less on defense and on offense. I mean, the efficiency numbers really aren't that different for Derek Carr this year. They were already sky high last year, but I mean, John Gruden is obsessed with like efficiency on offense and it's hard to be more efficient than Derek Carr. I think he only has two interceptions all year. Yeah, he does. He's yeah. taking fewer sacks um, too. And just kind of like maybe the realization of like John Gruden's this like hyper efficient, like offense at all costs. And maybe they're just fine. You know, it takes some, it takes years to get a program going sometimes. And maybe we're just finally seeing, uh, like the, the ideas that John Gruden wants to focus on, like efficiency on offense, like I guess bending but not breaking on defense. Not that that's like actually a philosophy, but they're succeeding on both those fronts this year. Could it also just be like this is how the NFL works? You know, there isn't that much of a difference between seven and nine and six and three of an NFL season, right? Like we yeah. talk about it so often on these Sunday recap shows that it's one, two, or three plays that change the course of a winner or a loss for an NFL team. And maybe those are working on the positive side this year for the Raiders, whereas last year they didn't. Could it be that simple? I, I um, Talking, you know, getting back to what you were saying about the point differential, I, I, I tend to remember several really bad blowout losses last year. Uh, but there were also a lot of really close games where the Raiders did not come out on top. So I, I – I remember thinking last year, this team is not horrible. Like, like, you know, I, for as much skepticism as I've had about, um, you know, the, this right about, about John Gruden coming back and trying to establish the testosterone, uh, <laughs> for, for the Raiders, uh, at, you know, last year I had to admit at one point, I think I said on Twitter, like, Oh man, like this team, this team's actually kind of, kind of decent, like not, not great, but decent. And, and you know, they're, they're showing that they're beating who they're supposed to be. Plus they have those two other wins that, that I mentioned. And that is what good, I mean, that can be sometimes like loss, like, like good teams beat the teams they're supposed to beat. Like that mm-hmm. is like something, even if it's like, they don't beat them, the other good teams, like the baseline for being a good team is beating the teams you're supposed to beat. And yeah, John Gruden's Raiders do do that. Yeah. Look at the Ravens. The Ravens do that. The Ravens lose to every good team they play and they, uh, and, but they, but they destroy the bad ones. All right. We will close with the Indianapolis Colts who also finished seven and nine last season, but through nine games this year are six and three, uh, the draft and free agency, as we always say on the show are where teams are actually honest with us. And, I think for the Colts, they've been incredibly honest in terms of the last few years. This has been their drafts. Um, Paris Campbell in round two. He's only played 63% or 63 overall snaps, I should say, this year. Michael Pittman round two. Jonathan Taylor in round two, who is still, I think, just looking at the Dave Montgomery posters he has in his wall right now. Richardson. (laughs) Um, Look, I think the number one difference in those because – I just mentioned three players who they drafted expecting them to be these explosive elements of their team. And they just haven't hit because of injury or before because of lack of performance or 
because being a rookie is difficult in the NFL. I guess it's Phillip Rivers who they're asking to throw the football 35 times a, a game right now behind an incredible offensive line. Now, I certainly don't think really at any point this season, Pat, that we can call Phillip Rivers a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, like ever at any point this year. But I do believe that shows you the difference between, I don't know, the 15th or 16th best quarterback, which maybe Rivers is this year in comparison to like the 30th quarterback in the NFL last year, which is what Jacoby Brissett is. And just that difference Mm -hmm. can exponentially elevate a team in terms of the win-loss column. I mean, Jacoby Brissett can only play at one speed, and that's like very slowly, just kind of one of the most methodical quarterbacks in the NFL. And they seemed yeah, to want to get away from that this year. I actually have no idea what their pace stats or anything like that are this year. But, I mean, my theory in the Colts is just like slightly better health on defense like because they haven't had like really that much better health on offense. But there's a team that was very, very injured last year and just better overall health this year, I guess, for a, a roster that I think everyone agreed was pretty talented. And, you know, having like Darius Leonard, who has missed some time, having Darius Leonard out there almost every week just makes a massive difference, has been making a massive difference. And you know, just a talented roster with, uh, again, they, they've had a lot of injuries this year, especially on offense, but they, and this is, I didn't even look this up. They just feel healthier on defense to me. And maybe that's it. Or maybe it's just the vagaries of human existence. And this is just a game. <laughs> and that none of it really ever makes sense. You know, 16 is just a ludicrously small, small sample size. At least baseball plays 162 games. Oh, true. Actually gives some meaning to things. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Well, that, that- the Colts were better this year, folks. That, that went uh, that went off the rails. Uh, vagaries of human existence. I think we're done. You know, I think that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. Well, I think Josh was on to something when he said, you know, you go from uh, a bottom five starter, arguably, to a top fifteen starter. Which I think, you know, maybe you could argue that for Rivers, considering his recent play. I mean, he did. He looked pretty bad in in September. Um, and then a little bit into October, but he has been pretty decent, including last week against the Titans where he looked downright good. Um, I think also his propensity to push the ball downfield, which the, they did not do last year. They were among uh, the, the you know bottom of the league as far as uh, downfield shots because of the way that Jacoby Brissett plays, like Pat was saying, you know, very methodical, deliberate, uh, just did not push the ball downfield. And, you know, Rivers, whether these are good throws or not, you know, who knows, you know, not sometimes they're, they're, they're pretty awful, but, but at least he, he's, he is pushing it downfield and they have, they have playmakers. They have some, some guys who can go get those, including like we saw last week, I think the emergence of Michael Pittman gives them, uh, gives them a, a, a new sort of ceiling to that passing game, which was, I think was supposed to be secondary to a dominant run game. Yeah, that that hasn't that hasn't developed, and I don't no. think it will unless something dramatic changes with Jonathan Taylor. But you know, so they, I think that they're discovering, hey, you know, like we're we're not too bad through the air. Let's continue to do this a little bit. One final thought on the defense, Pat. It's led by Matt Eberflus, who was a Josh McDaniels hire. Remember that saga where obviously yes. McDaniels was hired or going to be hired as the head coach, but they already had some of his coordinators because I think McDaniels was still going through the playoff picture. And then when he backed out, Eberflus stayed despite never meeting Frank Reich before the two met in the coach's office. Um, but what Eberflus has done is, one, along with Chris Ballard, bring in DeForest Buckner, who stacked on Darius Leonard as special on special, right? And then Xavier Rhodes has quietly 
back to quality form. Julian Blackman yes. is a fun, rangy safety that's a rookie. And they've jumped all the way up from 19th in defensive DVOA last year, Pat, and probably a lot of that was injuries, up to fifth in defensive DVOA this year. So, um, yeah, it's it's a formula where there are, I think, ones that we named in the other five on this list. Some were more obvious, but the Raiders and Colts, not so much. They, they will re- reveal the answer as we go. It'll make Got sense. It. Everything, you know, things just tend to always make more sense and not less in America. So I'm sure it'll just make more sense as the season goes on. You, you sound like the, um, what's, what's that, that philosophy called? The Is it the answer or the secret? The secret. You sound like the secret. <laughs> <laughs> the truth always reveals itself. There are, there right. are reasons things happen. It's not just pure randomness all the time, uh, hopefully. Oh. Well, I'm 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 just glad I'm glad we get to convene and just determine um, these franchises based off of nine game samples. Yes, that, it's, so, it's, yeah, um, it's science. Um, it's, it is science. That's what we're here for. All right, we're going to end it there for today. Um, be sure to go over to the site, check out Denny's Target Decoder column. Um, I just posted my bus column as well. They are both up there. Um, we will be back tomorrow for the game by game preview show. Hayden and Daigle will be joining us for that. And as always, we will be here on Sunday afternoons. Yeah. 12, 12 to like 1245, 45 minutes ahead of kickoff. I'm helping you set your optimal lineups, your perfect lineups. That is Rudder Live served by Applebee's. All right. We will get out of here for Pat, for Denny. I am Josh up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.